Hello and welcome to Hong Kong Heritage, which this week comes from the Hong Kong Maritime Museum. Our coral reefs worldwide are vital to providing a home and sustenance to huge numbers of marine life. Yet coral is under dire threat due to human activities. Hong Kong has more than 80 hard coral species and 26 soft coral species, more than the entire Caribbean. The Global Environmental Organization Conservation International, along with the Hong Kong Maritime Museum and the Swire Institute of Marine Science at the University of Hong Kong, have created the exhibition Corals Are Underwater Living Treasures. I joined Conservation International's Christine Law, the museum's education chief, Dominic Bouchard, and Dr. David Baker, assistant professor of the Swire Institute of Marine Science. It really is spectacular, and it makes Hong Kong a very special place. Hong Kong has more hard coral species than the entire Caribbean Sea, where I spent a lot of my time studying in the past. Uh, and that remarkable diversity has a lot to do with the region where we are. Hong Kong sits at the top of the region called the Coral Triangle. And so the heart of coral biodiversity is just to our south. And so thanks to ocean currents and environmental conditions, uh, strong corals can find their way to Hong Kong and, and start a life here. So it's worth diving here? It's very much worth diving here. Now, you have to get it used to uh, slightly lower visibility than, say, you would get in the Philippines. But uh, I find that every dive I go on in Hong Kong, I always see something remarkable. Coral for, you know, if, if I'm going to go on a dive and I see reef fish or I see a bit further south, I can see turtles. Uh, I mean, it's a wonderful experience. But uh, why are they so important for humanity as well? Well, first of all, I mean, corals are beautiful. And that beauty really attracts uh, a lot of tourism interest. And we have uh, a, a quite a healthy dive uh, community here in Hong Kong, and many of those people are diving year-round on Hong Kong uh, coral communities and elsewhere in the region. Uh, so that it represents a really big uh, tourism impact. More importantly, the corals themselves are foundational species. They're, they're ecosystem engineers. They're building cities underwater. And those cities are homes to a whole variety of marine organisms, especially marine organisms that we like to eat, like crustaceans and fish. So for those reasons, uh, uh, these ecosystem services that corals provide make them critically important for Hong Kong and the rest of the world. Yeah, when it talks about that the, the coral also provides us with protein. Oh, absolutely. Um, most fish species, I think more than a third of all fish species on our planet spend at least part of their time passing through or maybe their juvenile stages in or around a coral reef. So that alone illustrates the importance of these ecosystems, which only represent less than 1% of the ocean's surface. And for that reason, in developing countries in particular, uh, coral reefs provide the major source of protein. And so if these societies are, are meant to prosper, we need to conserve those ecosystems so that they have a basic source of nutrition. What's the difference between soft and hard coral? Hard corals are what we would consider the reef builders. They're the ones that are building up... Uh, these geological structures that are made of limestone, that's the coral skeleton. And the coral, the living coral tissue is really just a thin veneer on the surface of that skeleton uh, and continually builds up that, that material. And as a result, hard corals are responsible for building some of the largest structure, biological structures known to man. You can see the Great Barrier Reef from space, that's all been built by coral. And their cousins are the soft corals. And soft corals don't build a calcium carbonate skeleton or a limestone skeleton. 
they build a skeleton that's made out of protein that's very similar to what's in our hair or our fingernails. And that protein gives them a great deal of flexibility. So you find these corals in um, near, near the shore sometimes where there's a lot of wave action and they're undulating back and forth with the tide. Uh, and you find them in the deep sea quite often uh, where conditions are a little bit more calm and stable. So there's a tremendous amount of, of diversity in form and function in hard and soft corals. Yeah, we've got more than 80 species here. That's correct. Yeah, I think my postdoc recently tallied it at 90. <laughs> uh, so we're working on, on publishing an update on that. Yeah. So you just go down with your diving kit and go, God, got another one. Well, actually, no. We, uh, we're mostly looking through historic records. So, so surveys of corals that people have done before in the past. Uh, maybe revising some of the species identities based on revisions uh, that other scientists are doing. And uh, also looking through collections, even like the ones uh, that the Maritime Museum has. Uh, are, these museum collections are incredibly important archives for capturing uh, biodiversity in the past. I'm uh, Christine from uh, Conservation International, Hong Kong. If they come to the Maritime Museum and see this exhibition about coral, what are you hoping that Hong Kong kids will take home from this? I hope this will inspire the kids that corals are worth protecting and the ocean health is very important and that they could take part and it is easy for everyone to take part in protecting the corals. How do we do that? Um, there are a lot of tips here that we are sharing. Basically, the, for one thing, it is very important that we have to be aware that we should only eat sustainable seafood. And uh, also, uh, we, we can avoid, like, when we're diving, not to step on the corals. There are a lot of things that we could do on that. Dominique. Well, throughout the exhibition, we're actually going to have a small uh, handling box of coral samples that SWIMS have loaned us. SWIMS is the Swire Institute of Marine Science. And so people will be able so to... that's at University of Hong Kong. At the University of Hong Kong, that's right. And um, so the, those handling pieces will be here. People will be able to come, touch them, kind of play with them. We've got workshops for families, and we're also doing lectures. And Dave is one of our speakers. So uh, I, I think it, there's a lot of ways for people to get involved at whatever level and whatever way they like. So we've got the coral in the handling box here, but um, if we take the coral away, does it grow back? Well, not the corals that you can handle. So any of the corals that are part of this, the exhibition are out of the sea. And so in the same way that a fish doesn't survive, if you leave it on the, the side of the dock, the coral um, that we have is coral which has died uh, in situ, but we're able to, to exhibit it as part of this. Um, the, uh, one of the really exciting things, I think, about this exhibition is that we try to draw some attention to a lot of the coral regrowth programs that are happening in Hong Kong, supported by conservation. International and being led by Dave's team um, at, at SWIMS. And so it's a great way for people to understand. And some of the, the really fun bits of it are the techniques that they're using to regrow the coral, which are kind of quirky and also kind of surprising, but really ingenious. For example, um, over here, uh, we can see a concrete slab that they attach to the bottom of the sea. And in the slab um, are little bits of uh, bottles, plastic soda bottles. And what they do is they'll, they'll grow um, little bits of coral on, uh, on a bottle cap in a controlled environment in the laboratory. And once it's reached a certain level, they attach it to um, a metal rod uh, with super glue, I think. And then they dive underwater and they screw the bottle, bottle cap 
onto the top of this concrete slab and the corals grow. So it's almost like a little orchard for corals. Um, and we have a, a piece here which I think is really special and it shows the, the early stage of growth from, from uh, right to left to a coral which has been in situ underwater for about a year. So that much growth takes about a year, which is uh, surprisingly slow, but also kind of remarkable at the same time. But, David, why do we need to do artificial reefs like this? I mean, I, I sometimes hear about people sinking a ship or, you know, and to use artificial reefs. Why don't we just leave nature to it? Well, that's a really good question. And, and as you probably are aware in the press, there are... Seem, seemingly no end to the insults that corals are facing today. Uh, global climate change has hammered the Great Barrier Reef recently. Um, also, rampant coastal development, more than half of the human population lives near the coastline. And so all of the things that we do on the coast, from generating sewage, from doing reclamation, sedimentation, uh, overfishing, destructive fishing marine debris, all of those things impact corals in a very negative way. Which makes me so stunned that we have so many here. It makes me stunned as well, because in Hong Kong has a long history, a long maritime history, um, and f with respect to corals, the impacts probably date back to the Tang or Qing dynasty, when living corals were extracted for the slaked lime industry. Which is? Uh, slaked lime is a calcium oxide. It's a, it was a, a product of burning uh, coral and bivalve shells, like oyster shells, that were harvested from all of Hong Kong waters. And they were burned in kilns that are, you can still visit as archaeological sites all throughout Hong Kong. And coral, actually, because of the purity of the coral skeleton, the skeleton is so pure it can be used in bone grafts in humans. Um, the purity of the of the skeleton is so high that it makes it very attractive for this industry. So the corals were targeted, and at one point in time, there were more than 400 vessels just in Port Shelter that were pounding and removing Port Shelter. Port Shelter, which is the Saikong uh, area, and uh, re removing living corals from Hong Kong. You know, until World War II. That's a historical fact that I That's had absolutely no yeah. idea about. And so we really don't. We have no idea what the impact of that, that industry was. It could be that most of our corals from Hong Kong were removed at that time, and they're still just slowly recovering. So it's not just a current problem. It's not a current problem. It's a very historical problem in Hong Kong, and it's one that I hope that we can intervene and, and have a positive uh, impact on the ecosystem. We are working with uh, government agencies and NGOs. Uh, AFCD in particular is, has a keen interest in restoring coral communities in Hong Kong, and we hope to apply some of our methods to make that happen. I mean, we've been talking about, you know, make sure that the f type of fish that you eat are sustainable. Um, there's also, of course, Finding Nemo. Whilst it, the intention was to send out a conservation message, it ended up with uh, lots of people also buying reef fish that they shouldn't have done that actually came from the reef. So if you do go and see the Finding Nemo follow-up, do not go and buy reef fish. They actually come from the wild. Um, but um, in addition to sustainable fish, I also see here coral jewellery, like coral necklaces. We shouldn't be buying that. Coral's been a really, really popular uh, material to create jewellery from antiquity. And so I think we need to be very cautious when we purchase something. I 
I think um, it's very difficult to impose our own contemporary standards and thoughts about conservation on a society which lived four or five hundred years ago. They yeah, but I'm talking current. Currently, I think it's probably not a great idea. Um, I think if, if people have coral in their homes, then they should treasure it. But I don't think that it's a gr- – but I would say no. We shouldn't be going out and purchasing coral jewelry from a, a shop or a, stand, a hawker stand or anything like that. It's, it's you know, there's no way to know um, how old it is, where it's come from, how destructive the process was that produced it, all of those things. It's just really, really um, too vague and too obscure to be able to, to make a definitive answer about that. So best to avoid. Is coral protected in Hong Kong? Yes, coral is protected in Hong Kong by government ordinance, and AFCD is, is the uh, authority in charge of that. Uh, all hard corals are listed under CITES, which is the Convention uh, for the International Trade of Endangered or Exotic Species. And uh, all corals are protected under Appendix 2, which affords them a great deal of protection. So what happens if I decide to go fishing and take a bit of dynamite down, blow up a bit of coral? What, what, what's going to happen to me here in Hong Kong? Well, you would be breaking several laws, actually, uh, not mostly for handling the explosives and, uh, <laughs> and causing environmental damage well, because, it, because that kind of destructive fishing is banned. But if you were to just, say, maybe break off a piece of coral and take it home with you to put on your mantelpiece, you would also be breaking the law. And anyone who is in possession of coral should have a CITES-issued license uh, from the government of Hong Kong to possess that, that coral. So this applies to, say, places like Ocean Park or to places in Mong Kok that are selling living corals to the public. Um, these are all licensed operations. I'm here at the Hong Kong Maritime Museum looking at a beautiful coral exhibition and workshops uh, that is being carried out by the Hong Kong Maritime Museum in cooperation with the Swire Institute of Marine Science at the University of Hong Kong and the environmental group Conservation International. Children seem to be more environmental than their parents sometimes these days. Well, I think children just have a natural fascination with nature. And, I mean, that's, that's where my passion for science came from. I kept freshwater aquariums in my basement as a kid for more than 10 years, and, and that just naturally spun into an interest in, in other types of organisms, and the ocean in particular. So um, I'm standing here because of my childhood fascination. So I, I'm sure there are many other people like me. When we talk about the fact that there are 90 species probably in, in the Hong Kong region, um, can you tell me, you were saying about how some of them are soft and wavy, mm. but I mean, are these an abundance of colour? Well, that's kind of a misconception. If you went to Mong Kok and looked at the shops, you would find really, really vibrantly coloured corals. And people should really understand that that is kind of an artefact of how they're being kept. Because you can, with modern technology and LED lighting, you can change the wavelengths of light and you can manipulate the coral to produce these vibrant colours. But in nature, uh, corals are vibrant, but they're more uh, within the range from yellow to brown and maybe some green. And that's certainly what we see in Hong Kong. That doesn't mean that they're not beautiful. Uh, the the colouring and the structural complexity is really uh, a work of art um, but yeah the, the vibrant colors that maybe you see on the internet or you see in the aquarium shop may not be really representative of, of nature uh, in its true sense If I wanted to go diving in Hong Kong to see coral in, in, in Hong Kong, mm. where's best to go? Well I don't know if I should tell you that <laughs> <laughs> you know because one problem with corals is, is that um, divers who are not 
uh, well-educated can cause damage to corals. And, um, and there have been studies in Hong Kong illustrating the effects of divers and diver-related damage on corals as being a negative thing. But certainly, um, Hong Kong has wonderful coral communities that are accessible to, to the public. Places in, in Hoi Ha, uh, which is a marine park, um, are, are very accessible to the public. You can get there by minibus. You can walk down the path to the fishing pier and, and jump into the water with a snorkel or even with a scuba tank. So, I mean, this is a, a fantastic opportunity for people who are interested in the outdoors in Hong Kong to go and actually see what natural resources are out there and, and increase other people's awareness. But just be very careful around them. Yes, be very keep your distance, as you would with any marine life. Um, you know, corals don't like to be touched. They don't like to be kicked, uh, just like you wouldn't like to be touched or kicked. And so just, you know, respect the coral, respect your distance, take a photo, but don't take anything else with are you. Are they a plant or animal? Well, they're most certainly animals, but they have a very intimate association with plants and other microorganisms. And the most important partnership in the coral symbiosis is a small marine algae. We call it a dinoflagellate. And these little dinoflagellate cells are photosynthetic. So by partnering with these plant cells, the, the coral is effectively animal and plant combined. And that combination gives them a very distinct advantage in the ocean because they can utilize a variety of different resources to make a living. Obviously what's just been witnessed with the third coral bleaching of, of the Great Barrier Reef, that's an area the size of Scotland. Can any of that coral bleaching that damage the fact that the coral is dead, can that be reversed? Yes, it can if the conditions are right. And in places like the GBR, which have relatively good uh, fisheries management and coastal protection, the, if conditions, uh, if the waters cool and conditions improve, then many of those corals can recover. Um, either the coral itself can, can have its algae repopulate and therefore its biology will be restored, or over time, uh, through reproduction, we can get new corals coming into that environment and, and filling in that empty space. In Hong Kong, however, it's a slightly different situation because we are at, really at the northern limits of, of corals um, from the tropics. And for that reason, we don't have uh, the optimal conditions for, for a lot of different coral species. Is the water too cold? Or? Well, the water temperature is really variable, and it gets quite cold in the, in the wintertime. We've measured down to 14 degrees Celsius, and increasingly it's getting warmer in the summertime, up to 32 or more. Um, so we anticipate seeing more coral bleaching in the future, but we also anticipate seeing more corals in the future, especially if Hong Kong's waters continue to improve in their quality. And I, I have to give credit to the government for, for having very progressive uh, initiatives in, in cleaning up m the marine water quality. So not only in Victoria Harbor, but elsewhere through investment in wastewater management prim primarily. And so I'm rather optimistic for the future of corals. But my colleagues uh, who have been working here much longer, Professor Put Ong at Chinese University, for example, have told me that for, after many, many years of looking for coral recruitment or the, the, the influx of new baby corals, they haven't seen that much. And what that suggests to me is that it's time for active intervention. We, if, we can, if the can, water quality is improving in Hong Kong, we anticipate that we, the conditions will be improving in the future, then the corals really need our help 
in repopulating the areas that they were lost from. I'm here at the Hong Kong Maritime Museum looking at the exhibition Corals are Underwater Living Treasures and I was very surprised to realise, well, surprised and pleased to realise that we've got actually something like 90 species of coral in Hong Kong waters. The Maritime Museum is going to have workshops for both adults and children, but you've also got some films here, Christine. Yes, um, from the Conservation International Nature is Speaking campaign, we are lucky to have Donnie Yen, who speaks as a voice of Coral Reef. And uh, basically, in the, this video, we are going to show the beautiful corals that we can see in the underwater, and this is basically the living treasures. And you know that corals actually provide the environment for one quarter of the ocean species. Who actually created the films? This is basically the campaign by Conservation International and it's called Nature is Speaking. And uh, it started about two years ago that we have uh, Hollywood stars like uh, um, Harrison Ford as Ocean and Julia Roberts as Mother Nature. And now we have launched a season uh, in Hong Kong that we have um, Donnie Yen as Coral Reef, and also Chong Li Leung as Ice, and also Sylvia Chang as Home. So we hope to get across this message through Cantonese to uh, actually more audience in Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, I'll, I'll, I'll share with you some of the corals that we actually have here in the display. The first coral that I'll show you is the staghorn corals, or the Acropora. And Acropora are a genus of corals that can be found all over the world. But they're also critically endangered almost everywhere you find them. So, for example, in the Caribbean Sea, uh, the two species of Acropora that you can find there have been listed as endangered species in the United States. Here, uh, they don't have that same listing, but they are IUCN red-listed as threatened or vulnerable. And the reason for this is that these corals are very much like plants. They really rely on their symbiosis in order to make a living. They rely so heavily on their symbiosis, but the benefits they get from it are incredibly rapid rates of growth. So symbi symbiosis? Symbiosis is that relationship between the animal, the coral animal, and those algae that live inside the animal that, that can conduct photosynthesis. They're using light energy from the sun to make sugar, and they're giving that energy to the animal. And in return, the coral essentially protects the algae. The algae are able to populate the interior of the coral at densities that you would never find them in nature. Millions of cells per square centimeter of coral tissue. So the Acropora, these staghorn corals, are the ones that really rely a lot on that symbiotic association. But this is why that reliance on the symbiosis is, is an Achilles heel. Because at the same time, when you change the environmental conditions that, that doesn't favor the symbiotic association, these are the first ones to die. And indeed, in Hong Kong, we, we have from historical records and from looking at sediment cores, we know that this group of corals in particular has declined or, or their range has contracted by more than 40%. We don't know the timing of that contraction, but we know that it's very likely due to human activities. Uh, they're called staghorn corals because they create these structures that look like the antlers of a deer. And that structure is incredibly important for the reef. Um, you can see compared to some of the other ones that have more of a flat morphology, these are the ones that are the best habitat builders. So if you go diving on a reef and you look very closely between the branches of those antlers, you'll see numerous species of crabs and shrimp and tiny fish and nudibranchs and all kinds of stuff. So all of the real biodiversity of the reef is found within that complex skeletal structure. And that's prevalent in Hong Kong? 
Well, no. These corals are, are rather isolated to our eastern waters. I actually have a question for Dave, because one of the, the priorities of this museum is actually underwater cultural heritage and underwater archaeology. And I wondered what sorts of collaborations and um, the ways in which do underwater archaeologists collaborate regularly with, uh, with marine biologists? Um, that's a very good question. And, you know, archaeology is a really key, clear interest for my group. We're doing some historical ecology as well. And so we rely on sort of informal partnerships at this time. Um, we, we know uh, some marine archaeologists that are based in Hong Kong. Sarah Heaver uh, is one that comes to mind. And we often are diving in our, in our coral communities, and maybe we'll see some strange-looking pottery or some kind of artifacts. We'll take pictures of it. We're not allowed to pick it up. Um, but we'll take pictures of it, we'll note the location, and then we can notify professionals like Sarah uh, um, of what we saw. And if it's of interest, then we'll let them know where, where we found it. Similarly, we're, we are interested in, in those archaeologists who are working on the land. And uh, so there's uh, a professor at Chinese U, Mick Atha, who we were working with. Um, we have a proposal together to look at some of these lime kiln sites and conduct an excavation, which requires permitting from the Antiquities and Monuments Office. But our p- idea is to go back in time through those lime kilns uh, and see what coral fragments are laying around the exterior of the kiln, which is really a time capsule for what the coral communities were like back then. So, yeah, this type of relationship, this partnership with archaeologists, with museum curators, is really important for our science. This being, uh, obviously, the Hong Kong Maritime Museum, it's, it's uh, trying to move, it, uh, with, along with Conservation International, you're also, you know, telling your public about the conservation message of coral, which is absolutely pertinent to human life and survival. Um, but here at the museum as well, you've got, you've got some old specimens that unfortunately we can no longer see in Hong Kong. That's right. As a non-specialist, so there's there's a few corals that we have. One of them is a black branching coral. And it, when I saw it, it looks like uh, giant pieces of charcoal that you would use to draw. But it's really, really hard. So when we were looking at it, we were kind of touching it very delicately with lots of tissue paper and gloves. And then, uh, and then they said, well, you know, you don't have to do that. You could probably drop it off a 10-story building. It would be fine. Um, so that sort of information is really wonderful, partly because now we're going to be able to take it out of the collection store over the summer uh, and have it included in one of our handling workshops, which is part of Museum Fest, which happens in July. So people will be able to, to get up close and personal. We've got, um, from Conservation International, we've got these various films to do with uh, coral conservation, including one that's uh, narrated by Donnie Yen. And what's the film we've got here, David? Well, this is a a time-lapse film that we took at the Swire Institute of Marine Science. We had a visiting student from Italy, Anna De Petris, who who took these images, which are really quite remarkable. Uh, we At the lab, we have the ability to bring the corals into indoors, into controlled conditions, and we can watch what they do uh, at a very long time frame, right? So uh, using, using uh, time-lapse photography, we can stitch together images over the course of many days, and we can actually see that these corals are very much alive and very active indeed. So what you're looking at here are two corals that are having a fight, and one is on the 
very clearly on the losing end. Uh, this coral, called the Hydenophora, is very aggressive, and it's e extruding these mesenterial filaments, or essentially its gut contents. It's, it's almost like spilling its guts, right, all over this staghorn acropora, which has almost no defensive abilities whatsoever. So it's just like spitting acid over it, really. Exactly. So it, the, the film evokes images of, like, the... <laughs> Uh, alien films, right? Where, where? Coral horror. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's literally digesting the the other coral where it stands, and this is a, a very uh, important strategy for some corals to make sure that they have plenty of room around them to continue growing, so they 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 can kill almost anything within their immediate space. So are those a couple of shrimps. Those are little amphipods that are that are moving in to kind of clean up the mess after all is said and done. Yeah, so again, another glimpse at, at the different types of biodiversity that these corals attract. Anthropods? Amphipods are, are little compressed uh, crustaceans. Uh, they're quite similar to, like, the pill bugs you might find under a log or hiding in your basement. So this is quite an extraordinary film, as you say, time-lapse. Yeah, when we were talking about installing this in the in the in the exhibition um we were all very quite keen but we kept referring it to the video of corals killing each other um, and I, I think it's really evocative um, and it reminds you and i think really clearly that these are living creatures they're not pretty plants that wave that sort of undulate in the in the in the ocean they are living creatures they have you know a whole uh, life and and defense system and the ability to spit gut acid lovely my thanks to Dominic Bouchard, David Baker and Christine Law. The exhibition, Corals Are Underwater Living Treasures, is on show at the Hong Kong Maritime Museum until September the 18th. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>